Hello and welcome everybody. It's lovely to be here. I'm Pam Pastor, your host for the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast. I am happy that you found me, but more importantly than that, I am thrilled that you have found our Savior Jesus, our Messiah. And if this is your first time joining me, know that God blesses and honors those who diligently seek his word and then place it into action. Or perhaps you're a longtime listener. If so, welcome back. Folks, there is power in the name of Jesus. And as we journey together, we'll be unleashing discoveries of how to turn hearts of stone into ones of agile, moldable clay for the potter, Jesus, to transform. And you know, the book of Jeremiah teaches us that as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are we in his hand, meaning we're always on the potter's wheel, being transformed, shaped, and renewed, both physically and spiritually. So be prepared to power up your life as you join me and others each week as we explore all things pertaining to Jesus. And periodically, folks, we will delve into my virtual mailbag answering questions from listeners just like you. So if you have a question, make sure to email it to me at pampastorcopywriting at gmail.com. And you know, the Apostle John offers us this prayer, and it comes out of the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 21. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. And you know, as we prepare to enter into God's presence today, this is my prayer for us as well. Father, I'm asking that today's episode, my new depths within our hearts, allowing for new revelation of your word. Scripture teaches, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what you have prepared for those who love you. Amen. Well, you know, we're going to be looking today at the disciple Jesus loved along with the raising of Lazarus. And you know, the Apostle John has been said to have been that disciple that Jesus loved. And our ability to love is thought to be shaped from our personal experiences with love. And usually we love others as we have first been loved. And John writes to us about God's loving nature. He experienced this love firsthand through Jesus. And John expounded on the love of Jesus more than any of the other gospel writers. In fact, this was the main theme emerging from John's gospel. The love he was witness to was one of personal magnitude infused with the strength of God. He was known fully by his creator, and he too shared in this full knowing of his maker. We also can experience the depth of this creator love when we drop all pretenses and we boldly kneel at the throne of grace. All of our facades and our masks are stripped away and our vulnerabilities emerge being displayed but not taken advantage of because we too are loved by God. One thing is for sure, Jesus doesn't love the person we pretend to be. Rather, he loves the standard issue, authentic, genuine article, straight out of heaven version of us. 
His love is undeserved and unmerited favor in our lives. And this grace is not built on anything or any good deed that we ever have done. No, it's a 100% gift to each of us. So today I'm highlighting one of the most well-known miracles, and it is only found in the Gospel of John. You may have already guessed it, but it is called Lazarus is Raised from the Dead. So if you'd like to follow along with me, turn in your Bible now to the book of John. We're going to go to chapter 11 and read verses 1 through 45. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, the one you love is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the glory of God. I, the Son of God, will receive glory from this. Although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days and not did not go to them. Finally, after two days, he said to his disciples, Let's go to Judea again. But his disciples objected. Teacher, they said, only a few days ago, the Jewish leaders in Judea were trying to kill you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. As long as it is light, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. Only at night is there danger of stumbling because there is no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, that means he's getting better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was having a good night's rest, but Jesus meant Lazarus has died. Then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there because this will give you another opportunity to believe in me. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to pay their respects and console Martha and Mary on their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, when everyone else rises on resurrection day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die like everyone else, will live again. They are given eternal life for believing in me and will never perish. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she left him and returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. 
So Mary immediately went to him. Now Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house trying to console Mary saw her leave, so hastily they assumed she was going to Lazarus's grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell down at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, he was moved with indignation and was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Why couldn't he keep Lazarus from dying? And again, Jesus was deeply troubled. Then they came to the grave. It was a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, said, Lord, by now the smell will be terrible because he has been dead for four days. Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you will see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here, so they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out, bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. First, let's geographically orient ourselves to where this story is taking place. Jesus and his disciples headed to Bethany. Now, this city was about two miles east of Jerusalem and was located on the way to Jericho. So although Bethany was near enough to Jerusalem to be in danger, it was also far enough not to attract a lion's share of attention. Mary and Martha were the sisters of Lazarus, and in a previous account that I detailed how Mary had poured expensive perfume all over Jesus' feet, washing them with her hair. And here's a side note. Mary, like many women, had a whole lot of hair, and back in her day, women covered their heads when praying. Her hair acted as her head covering in this case as she anointed Jesus' feet with oil. And these sisters had seen Jesus' miracles, and they knew if anyone could help, it was Jesus. So they sought him out. They knew what scripture taught, and they had heard the accounts of changed lives. Extraordinary circumstances had only one solution, and that is Jesus Christ. Perhaps you're thinking or asking yourself, if we all have a time to die, like the book of Ecclesiastes tells us in chapter 3, verse 2, Solomon, who was notably the wisest man behind Jesus, suggested a time to be born and a time to die. This tells us that timing is important, and yes, death is an in escapable experience for each of us at the appropriate time. Our secret to peace with God is to appreciate his perfect timing. It's dangerous for us to doubt or resent his timing. So what would make these two sisters question the will of God? I'm glad you asked. 
Lazarus's death was not God's will. We read in the book of John chapter 11 verse 35, then Jesus wept. And just side note here, that is the shortest scripture passage in all of the Bible. Lazarus was a young man. This was the enemy's handiwork. We know that when Jesus heard the news about his friend Lazarus, he was preaching across the Jordan in a town called Perea. But Jesus didn't drop everything to run to him. In fact, he waited two more days before heading to Judea. He already knew Lazarus was dead, but he also knew he was the solution and he would be performing a miracle. Perhaps he waited longer so the miracle would be even greater as more time elapsed between Lazarus's last breath or expiration to all systems go again. What we know unequivocally is that all glory was and is for the Father in heaven. Scripture teaches us in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that God works all things together for good. Specifically, Genesis chapter 50 verse 20, Moses instructs us, As far as I'm concerned, God turned into good what you meant for evil. He brought me to the high position I have today so that I could save the lives of many people. You know, that was referring to Joseph who had gone from the pit to the palace. And our New Testament example is found in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where Paul writes, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. These sisters were devastated, yet hopeful. While Martha was matter-of-fact in her complaint or statement to Jesus, saying, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. You see, they sent for Jesus when Lazarus was first very sick. But then Martha goes on to make even more of a bold statement of faith when she said, But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, Your brother will rise again. Jesus loved their entire family. He was able to sympathize, sympathize, excuse me, with their pain. Yet his word issued an imperative over Lazarus' life. He would rise again. The delay was an effort to continue increasing the faith of those who would be eyewitnesses to this miracle account and for bringing honor to the Father. You could say this delay had specific purpose, and oftentimes we are all guilty of questioning God's timing. His delays may feel like no's or that our prayers are not being answered. However, we know that He will meet our needs according to His perfect schedule and His timing. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19, Paul shares with us, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. You see, friends, we can be assured that Jesus helps us with all of our needs, even when facing or approaching death. We can freely accept his provision and power. Jesus specifically references 12 hours of daylight is available every day. Now, the daylight he was referring to symbolized being in the knowledge of God's will. 
The absence of this knowledge was considered dark or nighttime, where we must be careful not to stumble. Jesus explained to his disciples very plainly the news that Lazarus is dead. Yes, it's very likely that had Jesus been with Lazarus in his final moments of sickness, he would not have died. He might have only needed a healing. We don't know. But what we do know is that Lazarus died. This allowed Jesus' power over death to be placed on full display front and center for all to witness. The rising of Lazarus was an essential display of Jesus's immense power. And the resurrection of the dead is a crucial belief of the Christian faith. John recorded Jesus as saying in chapter 10, verse 18, No one can take my life from me. I lay down my life voluntarily. For I have the right to lay it down when I want to and also the power to take it again. For my Father has given me this command. So Jesus has power to raise both himself and the dead. And it's interesting that Thomas quote unquote, the doubter, as he is known, because he doubted Jesus's resurrection, demonstrated love and courage in this account of Lazarus. The disciples were aware of the dangers of going with Jesus to Jerusalem, and they tried to talk him out of it. Thomas put voice to what they were all feeling. But when all the objections failed, they were willing to go and die with Jesus. The disciples were loyal above having to have all of the answers. You see, they trusted Jesus no matter how we slice it. There are dangers in doing God's work. There are unknowns. But isn't that part of the human experience, part of the human condition? We use wisdom when deciding if we're going to be God's ambassadors or as disciple, meaning disciples, meaning learners. Jesus has authority and power over life and death and over all sins. And John records Jesus saying in chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is the creator of all life. Because our belief in Jesus, we have a spiritual life that death can never conquer. Once we realize his power and goodness toward us, how can we not commit our lives to him? We all too, like Lazarus, will live again. And Jesus taught in the book of John chapter 14 verse 19, In just a little while the world will not see me again, but you will. For I will live again and you will too. Now, Martha's faith was amplified in this account with her brother. She's most well known, as we said, for being too busy when Jesus had previously been a guest at her home. Her sister had chosen better and was seated at Jesus's feet, hanging on to every word spoken by the teacher. Her statement of faith is what Jesus wants all of us to carry within our hearts. She said, I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. 
What makes John's gospel account so incredible is that we're shown that we have a God who cares about us. Contrast this with the Greek portrait or concept of a God who was popular in that day, a God with no emotion at all and no involvement with humans. Jesus jumped directly into the mess. He displayed many emotions, including compassion, indignation, sorrow, even frustration. Jesus often expressed deep emotion, and we must never be afraid to reveal our true feelings to him. He understands them because he experienced them too. We need to be honest about our feelings and not hide them by stuffing them down into the recesses of our core being. This will allow us to work with the feelings that surface. We have a Savior who really does care about every aspect of our lives, and we must not be afraid to turn toward Him for help. If Jesus knew he would be bringing Lazarus back to life, why did he weep and wail for him openly with the others? In my opinion, he was demonstrating empathy and compassion for his friend, or he too may have been troubled at the unbelief of the people surrounding him. Either way, Jesus showed us that he cares enough to weep with us in times of sorrow. And you know, tombs of the day were fairly large. They usually consisted of a cave carved in the limestone of a hillside. A tomb was often large enough for people to walk inside of it, and several bodies would be placed inside of one tomb. And then after the burial, a large stone was rolled across the entrance to seal the tomb. Now, these tombs were large enough, again, for people to be walking inside of, so you can only imagine how large that stone or boulder must have been sealing it. And if you recall at Jesus's tomb, it was an angel who came down from heaven and rolled the stone away because it had taken so many people to even get the stone in place the day of his death. And that allowed Mary to see that Jesus had been resurrected. She didn't need to call 50 plus people asking for help to remove this giant boulder. But during Jesus' ministry, it's recorded that he raised two other people from the dead as well, Jairus' daughter and a widow's son. And today, there are many accounts of people being brought back to life, raised from the dead, and the sources that we hear these accounts from are deemed as credible. So friends, this story teaches us that we can place our trust in God's timing and his purpose while realizing nothing is too hard for our God. And folks, if you have not been spiritually reborn, God made it clear to enter into the kingdom of heaven, a person must confess belief in his son, Jesus. When we place our trust in Jesus's finished work upon that cross at Golgotha, a divine exchange takes place. Jesus takes our sin, making us right with God. Our sin was then placed onto Jesus at his crucifixion. Now, this is a grace gift that we can never repay back to Jesus. However, what we can do is show him our gratitude by growing in our relationship with him. We can make efforts to obey him, deepening our connection daily, regardless of the circumstances we face. 
Today, folks, if this is you, respectfully, I'm challenging you to take a bold step of courage and strength by openly confessing this eternal salvation prayer after me. Father God, I'm repenting of sin, meaning I'm changing my ways of thinking, acting, and doing life. Jesus, you are invited to be the king upon the throne of my heart permanently. I'm confessing your shed blood washed away my past, present, and future sin upon that cross at Calvary. Amen. Folks, if you prayed that prayer of salvation, you were saved and born again spiritually. Your next step is to read God's word daily so he can guide, direct, and reveal himself to you through the person of the Holy Spirit. And consider joining a good Bible-based church surrounding yourself with other like-minded believers who will help build up and edify your newfound faith in Jesus. Now allow me to be the first person to congratulate you on making the wisest and most important decision of your lifetime. Congratulations and God bless you. And friends, the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast will be available most days during the week. A special Child Talk series airs on Wednesdays. So I invite you to tune in along with your children for your favorite Bible stories that you may have just grown up with. And join me as we continue to discuss and share Jesus's unlimited power in our present day lives. Some of the topics we discuss center around biblical forgiveness, Jesus' teaching parables, miracles, and his message in ministry, in addition to the harmonization of the four Gospels. Now, this is an open invitation for you and your friends to come alongside me as we embark together on an adventure of exploration of all things pertaining to Jesus. And if you like this episode and want to hear more, make sure to subscribe so you're going to get the latest releases as they become available. And if you're interested in being a guest, send me an email at pampastorcopywriting at gmail.com. And finally, folks, Occasionally, materials referenced directly from my book that has the same name as our podcast, The Grace and Peace of God Love Wins. If you find the content inspiring, compelling, or perhaps wish to go deeper and do a rigorous deep dive study of your own, you can pick up a copy of the book from pampastorcopywriting.com or at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, or Dorrance.com. But importantly, if you're unable to afford a copy, write to me at that same Gmail address I previously stated, and I'll find a way to get a free copy into your hands. You won't be disappointed. The book is full of God's word, and it's waiting for you to read it. Until next time, always remember you've been marked and sealed with the cross of Jesus Christ forever. God bless you.